0: Welcome to Books, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And
1: I'm Livia Snedden. This week is another exciting new episode for us. It's Books' first annual year in review extravaganza spectacular.
0: What does that mean? Well, uh, we're basically going to be telling you a little bit about what we've done throughout the year and um, kind of the high points and the low points and some of the stuff that we like the most.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's been, it hasn't been a whole year. It actually, uh, our first post went live um, April 1st, 2011. So we're only, what, yeah, going on eight months now?
0: Yeah, we're finishing off eight months and <laughs> how telling is it that we posted our first post on, on April Fool's Day?
1: Yeah, I was hoping that nobody would notice that, but you went ahead and mentioned it. Um, should we start off by telling people what we did in this last year, just giving a rundown of the, the list?
0: Yeah, um, I don't know how much people know about me, but um, I'm kind of a, a nerd for statistics, I and mean, I like breaking things down and and listing them out and everything like that. So I pulled together a list of, of from our review episodes, uh, all the the reviews that we did, and I broke it down into kind of categories. Do you want to give a little bit, or should I go for it, Liv? Oh, you did all the
1: work on this. I'm totally going to let you do
0: it. Okay. Uh, Over the course of the last eight months, we have reviewed 23 books, 23 full-length novels, uh, three anthologies, two short story collections, one novella was actually officially reviewed by us, and that's ZB&B. Another novella received, I guess, what I consider an unofficial review, because Livius and Sean Ferguson both talked about uh, By the Nails of the Warpriest by Nick Corpont, so I'm going to count that as kind of an unofficial review. And then um, we actually reviewed two individual short stories, uh, and that's that's the total of our review episodes for the year.
1: Don't forget all the interviews. 26 interviews, and in that, only one repeat with Caleb J. Ross.
0: So that means 25 separate authors came onto our show and talked to us about books or, or other types of things that they wrote within 2011 so I that's to me if there was if I had to point to anything that I thought was really cool I'd say that we talking us talking to 25 different authors is, is pretty fantastic
1: Oh absolutely and you know I know there's probably only a handful of people that were uh, that were there listening at the very beginning but I doubt them or, or even us imagine that that's uh, what we'd spend a good portion of our year doing was just author interviews.
0: Yeah, if you look at it, we're almost even between interviews and reviews, which is, I mean, we, well, we had really <laughs> didn't have much of a vision at the at the beginning of the of the podcast at all. But I, I personally expected to do a lot of talking about books, and then um, with the aspirations, probably one day of adding on, you know, talking to authors and stuff. And and it really took over once once we got some authors on, it just snowballed. Yes,
1: it did. Um, And who knows, if Warmed and Bound 2 comes out, we may get to do another 20-plus interviews in (laughs) just a few days this year, next year, whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess that was one of our most epic and stupid and really, really (laughs) incredible experiences was uh, the Warmed and Bound sessions, which I believe started July 17th? 13th? I think that's about right. Mid-July, yeah. Mid-July, went all the way through to August 2nd or 3rd. It was yeah. seven, 17 interviews in a row, um, one per day, which meant that behind the scenes, Livius and I were reading the stories that the authors had written, um, typing up notes for the interviews, actually recording the interviews, then editing the interviews, and then posting them all while we were going about our regular daily life. So, um, probably one of the dumbest things that we've committed to but ended up being probably the most rewarding experience too
1: absolutely don't forget we listened to them or at least i listened to almost all of them too after we recorded them
0: yeah that's right
1: yeah throw that in there it's hard work listening to this podcast now i know what the fans feel like
0: (laughs) so yeah a lot of a lot of stuff's been going on um i guess in addition to that not only have we recorded all these you know crazy episodes and stuff like that but we've We've done some other stuff too, like uh, we we added some. Uh, we were asked to help with some extra content for the ebook version of Warmed and Bound, so we did a little write up there, and they they transcribed a handful of our interviews. So that's it's kind of an, I consider that an achievement of ours. It's a very, very
1: cool achievement. There is definitely a list of uh, of great moments that uh, that we had, and I certainly count that as one of the uh, one of the top ones. Is not just doing the interviews, but actually being you know forever involved in uh, in the ebook uh, format of Warmed and Bound. Very, very cool stuff.
0: So, in the process of preparing for this episode, I did get pretty sentimental, and I wrote up a list of uh, kind of my favorite moments for the the first year as booked or the first you know. For 2011, uh, did you have some stuff to share? You want me to kind of get this started off? With? Oh, you
1: know what I do. You go ahead and get it started. and We can kind of kind of go back and forth. Some of this is just the same as what you know you've listed. So
0: yeah. um, I'm going to start off with one that you know I, I tried to play it as cool as possible when when it was going down. But um, Craig Clevenger has always been you know as long as I've I've have read his stuff a huge influence on me, and I'm a huge fan of his. So the fact that we got to talk to him, I think, was definitely one of the high points for me. Um, and then going beyond that, uh, him being so fun and and being the longest, I think, that we talked to any of our our authors, and and just hearing all this cool stuff from him and, and his stories about his his life and making his books and stuff, and then how even after we you know recorded the interview and posted it and everything, how he continued to just be a really awesome guy to us, and you know. Uh, interact with us and stuff like that so going from being you know a starry-eyed admirer of of someone to actually being able to talk to him and have him you know just do nice or thoughtful things for us has just floored me
1: (laughs) to to go from that to being a starry-eyed admirer where he actually talks back (laughs) exactly
0: (laughs) no no longer Um, fearing a restraining order (laughs) that's right From the uh, And I agree with you wholeheartedly.
1: I'm also a huge Clevenger fan. You know, the the interview I want to talk about uh, is Max Berry. I thought that it was really, really cool that he gave us some time um, after hearing our Machine Man um, podcast to come on the show and share with our listeners a little bit of the insight into that book. Much like you said about Clevenger, I've been a huge Max Berry fan for for a number of years, and it was really nice to hear uh, his insight into Machine Man and the publishing industry and some of the other stuff he talked about, which is really, really great and one of the moments I hold in very high regard.
0: Very was a lot of fun, and again, one of those things where, you know, this guy, um, he's a well-known author, and we get him on the phone, we get him on Skype, and one of the first things he said was how he listened to the, the review and he, and how how much he liked it and stuff. So I was like, oh, this is uh, <laughs> this is definitely a cool feeling
1: absolutely and, and hand in hand with that um, just for a couple of the more fun episodes that we did uh, the zombie extravaganza spectacular was two hours of just non-stop giggling and laughter on our parts too so many thanks to Amanda Gowan and Chris Deal for joining us in uh, in that enterprise something we hope to do again maybe a little less than two hours or maybe we'll split it up this time because I've heard it's, uh, <laughs> it's a little tough to sit for two hours and listen to that but um, every minute of it an absolute blast
0: yeah, and I thought we were going to have a hard time topping um the David J- James Keaton hour and a half uh exp- you know crazy interview slash you know episode we did with him. But um yeah, that one was great too. David James Keaton, hilarious guy. I wish that I lived near him so I could just hang out with him all the time and hear his his weird, really intelligent, crazy ramblings. That guy was uh, <laughs> a whole lot of fun to uh to talk to, and then also to get to meet later on.
1: Um, yeah, that was the other episode I was going to mention. Apparently, I like sprawling long episodes that have four people on them, so uh, it was nice to hear him take uh, take our friend Dan to task, too, on that episode, which was just wonderful.
0: And Dan did his good. did a good job of holding his own and everything. He sure did. <laughs> but it's nice to see someone get back a little sometimes. For sure. Uh, now, another thing I'd like to say is just talking... Talking to all these authors has been wonderful, but actually getting to know them, you know, and having this casual conversation and and you know becoming Facebook friends and having email conversations with all these people has just been such a great experience. It's like you know it's one thing to read something incredible, but then to have access to those minds and be able to like you know share thoughts with them and, and see them as you know beyond being a, an author has been really really cool. Um, so really, all the twenty five people that we've met and talked to, it's really cool to see them beyond the episodes and stuff and to know that we kind of we have you know more than just that interview we kind of have a, we've built friendships with these people which is not expected but really incredible
1: that's right if they like it or not once you talk to us you've opened yourself up to that so just a warning to the next uh, the next authors to come on the show
0: <laughs> what else you got live
1: um, this is your note, but I wanted to talk about a little too. Um, just having strangers, you know, to just contact us to tell us they like what we're doing. I mean, you know, we have access to these numbers and we see how many people are listening and stuff. But the total huge bonus of getting an email or getting someone to post on our wall that says, hey, you know, I came across your podcast, really like it, or going in and commenting on it has been to... Almost as cool as um, as some of the people we've gotten to talk to. It's kind of reinforcement. that there's people out there. Numbers are one thing, but actually, you know, developing relationships or having some contact with people who are listeners too is, uh, has been just tremendous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to, my last note that I have about, you know, personal favorite moments is a bit of a, you know, pat myself on the back or whatever. But uh, Jonathan Maybury, uh, we reviewed his book, Dead of Night. And uh, actually on our website, in a, in a reply to the post for the, for that episode, Jonathan Mayberry posted, he said, you guys run the best review podcast on the net. Um, now, that might have been because we gave his book a glowing review. Um, but, I mean, he obviously engaged us more than that. He said, you know, some of the stuff we said about characters we liked, he, he reinforced, he said, you know, these are some of my favorite characters too, and that kind of stuff. But, like, that little quote is just a nice feather in our cap because... We weren't really setting out to do anything with this, but when we have this kind of feedback that reinforces us, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's fantastic to hear. It fuels us to uh, to do more stuff.
1: Absolutely. I think the next uh, a nice segue into this would be uh, <laughs> this other favorite part of ours got its own section on <laughs> on this podcast, and that's a uh, Malaz Corbier, our correspondent from the Netherlands.
0: A little history about Mlaz. Um, we we ran across him. He had uh, followed us on Twitter. So he'd heard about us probably through our, our connections with the Velvet people, Caleb Ross and the Velvet and, and all those people. And, you know, we started following each other on Twitter. And for our first interlude episode, which was episode 6, on Twitter and on Facebook, I think we put out a request saying, hey, give us some topics to talk about uh, on, on this episode. And he came back... Saying that we should talk about anthropophagites, so obviously the first thing we did was we went to the dictionary to find out what the hell he was talking about, and then uh, we realized he was talking about you know eaters of human flesh. So we're like, yeah, we can work with this, and uh, we talked a whole hell of a lot about anthropophagites, um, and then so that's that's kind of Malaz's first appearance. Uh, but then you know as time went on, we had a whole lot more experience with Melas.
1: Yeah, he eventually became our unofficial third member, and uh, as we refer to him, our own Matt Damon. Um, You know, he got mentioned a lot, but then he started sending in the last minutes, which uh, was a burst of genius on somebody's part. I don't remember whose it was, but having him actually record bits and send them into the show is fantastic. Uh, You can find some of those. um, They're in some of the warmed and bound sessions for Pela Villa, Eddie Rathke, Amanda Gowen, and Axel Tayari, and uh, spread throughout in a lot of the interlude episodes, too, including this one.
0: That's right. Yeah. And we, we kind of fell in love with him He's just, um, he, I don't know if it's just the fact that, you know, he's from a different country than us. And so his, uh, his sense of humor is, is kind of harsh and critical, but also really, really funny. And I don't know if that's because he's from a different country. I, I think that's what Livius likes to attribute it to, or maybe we're just like, you know, giving him <laughs> more credit for being funny than he deserves. But, uh, that guy's just a lot of fun and he's really, really funny. So, uh, we kept him around and uh like Olivia said he showed up on other stuff he did a bit uh for Craig the when we reviewed Craig Walwork's story Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters um which he's a character in and then he also gave us something when we did uh the interview with Michael Paul Gonzalez for In Search of a City Los Angeles in a Thousand Words so he's been around a lot and, and I mean I chat with him on Facebook all the time he's a fantastic guy and we share you know short stories and stuff we've written back and forth and uh Yeah, hell of a guy. Just really, really like that guy.
1: Yeah, and let's not forget what a great time we had on the Warmed and Bound session wrap-up that uh, he was a full-on guest host for. Just uh, another great episode right there. And uh, speaking of how Malaz is uh, one of our favorite things on the show, we asked Malaz to send in uh, another Malaz Minute telling us what his favorite part of this past year was.
2: A special booked episode without Malaz is not a special booked episode. So here I am. My favorite book moment of the year 2011 was easily found. Episode 24, the interview with Bella Via. She went on a record saying, and I quote, Mlaas is so awesome, the most adorable thing. He is a good-looking guy. Yeah, he's totally good-looking. Now of course I hear this on a daily basis. Livius telephones me every day to say something along those lines. But it hardly means anything, does it? I mean, my two-year-old niece thinks I'm the smartest person in the world. And even though it's fun to hear, it doesn't mean much if someone tells you who can't even tie around shoelaces. But Miss Fia, she is gorgeous. It's worth a lot more when someone who knows what she's talking about compliments you. That was my finest moment. It was also Rob's, by the way. Happy New Year, book people. See you all next year.
0: Okay, I don't know if Mlaz is, uh is um psychic or clairvoyant or whatever you want to call it, but uh he did mention that my favorite moment on uh uh my favorite moment of the year was <laughs> Pela t- saying how handsome he was and I think he's right about that. Either that or I didn't understand what is what he was saying in his minute, but uh yeah, definitely I don't think there was any moment that was better than finding out that Pela thinks Malaz is a good looking guy.
1: Yeah, and every day when I call him to tell him what a good looking guy he is, he brings that up <laughs> about what Pela said so it's just it's really really weird but we love him all the same i guess we all have our own quirks and uh and uh malaz is a very welcome addition to the show
0: yeah i just can't wait until we have him on to actually uh talk about something he's written we've we've had the uh the the benefit of being able to read some of the stuff he's written and i know not a lot of it uh there's not a lot that we can point people to to read but um guy's just a fantastic writer and uh I can't wait until we have an opportunity to have him on, as as more than just you know, in, uh, one of the members of, of the podcast. Did you notice he bought a new microphone? <laughs> it sounded yeah, yeah. It did yeah. sound kind of nice. He got he got all uh, he got all fancy for the the year in review episode.
1: Yep, yeah. I, apparently, um, I was asking him how you say uh, Walmart in Dutch, and he just told me that a lot of their stores have English names, and the one he bought that from was called Action. it was in one of my phone calls that's what he told me after i called to tell him how handsome he
0: was (laughs) all right um all right so i think we uh we kissed malaz's ass enough we probably should have given him we probably should have given him a harder time than we did but uh we just you know we can't help being charmed by him being so handsome and funny as he is do you want to uh now, all right. So we've avoided. It's this will be the fifty seventh episode, I believe, and we've never given our list of something. I think we've alluded to like that's in my top three or something. We've never actually done that, and I'm thinking the spirit of of you know wrapping up a year is kind of giving the highlights, and I and so I put together a top three books of the year. I believe Livius did too. Okay. You wanna you wanna give yours first?
1: Um. <laughs> I I suppose I could talk about Stealing Someone's Thunder, though. Um, uh, Number one, Strangeness in the Proportion, um, followed closely by Warmed and Bound at number two, and then The Night Circus at number three.
0: Mm Hmm. Mine's going to sound shockingly (laughs) similar. Without question, Strangeness in the Proportion was um, my favorite book of the year. Um, I rated it the best of any novel that we've rated this year and yeah I, I think it's my favorite thing that i've read uh i put in second place the night circus uh aaron Morganstern's book which i just thought was fantastic and um yeah just a great book and then third rounding out the top three is warmed and bound because that's the anthology that brought short stories back into my life i'd say
1: yeah, and, that's, and I, I've got to say that even at third place, that's high praise for short stories. Anybody who's, uh, who's listened um, early on or ever talked to Richard Thomas about us um, <laughs> will, will know that uh, we're not huge fans of the medium. And, and Rob's right, that really did kind of uh, I think it started a little before that. But yeah, that did turn us around or turn me around at least to uh, relooking at the short story, just that collection of great authors.
0: Yeah, it, <laughs> Richard Thomas really took up the charge to uh, to get us to be more into short stories. Um, I don't know, I don't know if it was like a an error in communication or something, but he thought Livius was just against the idea altogether, and he really did everything he could to to turn us around and point us in the direction of some good short stories. So, got to give props to him for that. I forgot all about that till you said that.
1: You know, the other thing that I'm thinking about. We've been mentioned as, and again, this is, I hope, an error in communication um, frequently by people as like a crime review podcast um, because of some of the titles we reviewed and stuff. But when you look at that list, the two full-length novels that are on there are just borderline, well, one of them is just flat-out fantasy. The other one's very borderline fantasy. Mm -hmm. So maybe fantasy is where we're at. Maybe it's not so much crime, which is what a lot of people seem to think.
0: Well, and and there's a nice mix, too. You've got... Strangest in the Proportion it's a it's a first novel by uh by someone in a very published I guess at least through a kind of a niche um you know very genre it's a very specific audience uh it was published t- uh to then you've got The Night Circus which was kind of a runaway success uh from one of the top publishers and um you know in, in the in compared to being compared to like you know the Harry Potters and Twilight's of the world so um, you've got a, a, you've got a book that's very, very small, very indie. And you've got a book that's just like a, a runaway success. And then you've got warmed and bound, which is kind of somewhere in the middle. A lot of the authors, you know, are kind of starting out new, you know, some of the authors in there are just, you know, well-known and, and respected authors. And so it's kind of, I'd say that we're hitting in, in, all areas.
1: Absolutely. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, about the av- actual ratings breakdown, because there was some surprising stuff here. As I want to tell you that Rob put up together this spreadsheet that's just amazing. that had all of this data on it. And, you know, he's like, oh, I got a bunch of stuff together for the episode. I went out and looked and just about fell over when I saw exactly what, uh, what he had. So I'll kind of start through some of this and let Rob pick it up from there. The average review ratings um, for me was 4.02 stars out of 5. Rob came in at just a hair under that at 3.95. Um my lowest reviewed book, so the worst book we reviewed this year in my personal opinion is The Pale King, Let the Flaming Begin. And uh and Rob's lowest book was Robo Apocalypse.
0: Now, Livius gave the only one-star rating that we gave for anything in the entire, you know, 50 50- Six episodes leading up to this, with a one-star rating for Pale King, and my lowest was a two-star rating for Robo Apocalypse, which is the same score that Livius gave it. Interestingly, um, when I when I put the spreadsheet together, I uh, I noticed that we had we were agreeing on more books than I remembered, and out of the 23 novels or full-length books that we reviewed, we agreed on 12 of them, so almost half. Anthologies we did a little better, two out of the three we agreed on short story collections, two out of the three we agreed on, and full-on short stories we were agreed on. We agreed on one. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, did I find a mistake in my data?
1: I think you did. It was two short stories.
0: Hang on. Hold the phone. Oh, I didn't put Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters on there. But we agreed on that, so we agreed on both. Oh, maybe. yeah. Two. Two. Yep. So we agreed on both of the short stories that we reviewed. And I'm not going to edit that. Everybody can see that I made a mistake
1: i apparently um have been far more generous than rob even though our numbers are really close together and giving higher ratings nine times when rob only gave higher ratings than me at three occasions okay watch out guys authors 2012 i am not going to be anywhere near as generous i'm gonna be as cold-hearted as rob is with my uh my ratings
0: yeah we're gonna have to really start tightening the screws on these people if we're both around four out of five stars we're being really generous with our uh with our ratings, but um yeah, I think that Livius in general gave higher ratings, but usually it's like a half a star to a star, whereas when I gave higher ratings, it was like significantly different. I think Pale King he gave a one, I gave a three and a half, so I made up a lot of room in those ones that I gave higher ratings to
1: very, very true, and then while we're on the subject, we already mentioned a couple of them, but uh, the bottom three books of the year, you want to go ahead and give your uh,
0: give your list. My bottom three books of the year, first of all, Robopocalypse is the one that I had the least affection for. I gave it the lowest rating of anything I rated, and um, I really just regretted (laughs) reading it, I guess. It wasn't that great. It was, you know, World War Z knockoff, whatever kind of thing. Uh, Next in line, Mozart Conspiracy. The reason that I put that on my bottom three books of the year, uh, even though it was rated, I rated it a three along with about... I think I gave threes to six other, you know, six total books. So, you know, it's it's got five other books around, you know, with the same rating. But the reason I chose that one was because um, it billed itself as, you know, Da Vinci Code meets, what was it, James Bond or something? Yep. And, um, I mean, it was like, it was more like Commando meets, you know, someone telling you about the Da Vinci Code. There was, like, very little of that. <laughs> historical mystery stuff, and it was just all action, action, action. So um, maybe I just had the wrong expectations for it, but it was a big disappointment that way. The third book on my bottom three of the year. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to tell you. And then (laughs) looking at my list right now, two of the bottom three are ones that I chose for us to read, and I'm kind of sad about that. But uh, the third one for me is Plugged by Owen Colfer. The reason I put that on the list is because I had read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book that he wrote, um, which was called And Another Thing. And I loved it. I thought he did a great job of of carrying on uh, the style of Hitchhiker's Guide, so I had a pretty high expectation for Plugged. And while Plugged was not a bad book, I think, again, I gave it a 3 out of 5. Yeah, I mean, it just kind of left me wanting more. It was not bad, but it wasn't good either. So, yeah. Yeah. That's my bottom three, and now I'm sad to realize that two of them were ones that I not only suggested, but in some cases, like, I had to kind of, you know, fight for. And now I'm thinking I could have just skipped it.
1: It, it happens. So my, uh, my bottom three, as we mentioned uh, just a couple minutes ago, The Pale King at one star, just uh, an unfinished, unpolished um, work that could have been much better had uh, had the author not killed himself and actually saw that to completion but enough for him to, to turn me off to david foster wallace forever um you know sentences that are three or four pages long just just not my thing so as, as talented as i can see that he is it just didn't work right for me and like i said a completely unfinished work and, and who knows had it been finished i think i said this in the episode maybe it could have been a three three and a half star book but um, second one, I'm with Rob Robo Apocalypse, which was World War Z, but with robots. Um, just a total ripoff. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't very well get past how much of a ripoff it was of a truly great book that scored two stars. Now, my uh, third lowest rated, there's a there's a three way tie with um, three different books that got a three from me um, in having to select those, and I'll say what they are. they were Rob had the Mozart conspiracy. Three seconds, our first review and Plugged, Um, I'm going to pick Plugged as my third bottom of the year, because in looking at it versus the other two, um, Three Seconds had some really interesting stuff. That book suffered a little bit from being um, part of a series that we, I guess, weren't aware of when we started reading it. Um, And and The Mozart Conspiracy, um, I, I think, made, I don't know, I don't think it really, you know, I know that it was promoted a certain way. I don't think the book tried to Describe itself, you know, in its own words, as anything other than high adventure. And with plugged, I just, I don't know, it was just something about that book that just. And again, like you said, it wasn't a bad book. It just didn't really do anything for me. It was kind of a, a rehash of the same old stuff that, that you know we'd read previously, and, and not just on the show, um, but it was a little more tongue in cheek. And it got three stars mostly for being funny. But yeah, that's that's my bottom three of the year.
0: So. We're looking for better Scott Mariani in two thousand twelve, is that what we're saying?
1: Absolutely. But remember, I'm gonna be much, much tougher. If I had to if I read to reread that Scott Mariani book it now it would be a two and a half, just so it's lower than what you gave it.
0: <laughs> just so you can even out the uh what you give higher ratings on. Exactly. <laughs> All right. One of the one of the highlights that I I see coming out of two thousand eleven and, and and booked podcast and everything is this little road trip that we went on. So uh, following the warmed and bound sessions, we suddenly had 17 friends that we didn't have before. Maybe not 17, but, you know, we had like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? We had these core group of friends that we talked to on a regular basis that, you know, a month before we didn't even know who they were. We hardly had any contact with them. And, um, and so, so I think it was like September, uh, Richard Thomas had already planned on going down to, uh Cord in Indiana for a book release event for Frank bill's book Crimes in Southern Indiana. It was something that he had already had planned, you know from whatever he heard about it uh and then he decided to ask Chris Deal and Livius and I if we wanted to go along to the event with him, and we agreed, and we went down there and um Wonderful, wonderful trip. I'm not going to talk about the whole thing. I'll let Livius talk a little bit about it too. But yeah, a wonderful trip and one of the one of the greater moments for, for Booked, I, I feel.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and other than getting to hang out with Richard Thomas and Chris Deal, who we'd met you know previously, we got to meet um, Frank Bill, um, Donald Ray Pollock, whose book we reviewed and then subsequently had an interview with, um, due directly to that trip. Scott Phillips, Matthew McBride, Jed Ayers, and Kyle Miner. Um, we got to meet in person, David James Keaton, which was very, very cool. That's when Rob decided that he wanted to move to uh, wanted to move to Kentucky and hang out with Keaton all the time. Yeah. Um, so it was just a, a fantastic time. We got to go see uh, uh, just a, a great reading and, and a great release party for uh, for Frank Bill's book, which we subsequently reviewed too, Crimes in Southern Indiana.
0: That's right. Uh, in addition to that, we. <laughs> We made a stop at the Kurt Vonnegut Memorial Library, which Livius and I, and, and thankfully this happened this way because Livius and I had been planning individually um, or independently of this whole trip uh, to go down there and visit it and kind of maybe make a day out of it or whatever, thinking that this was going to be, you know, a big experience that we'd want to take some time and get into and everything. But uh, then this this opportunity came up and we decided to just kind of roll it into the... To the trip that we were going through, we were driving through Indianapolis anyway, and so we stopped by Kurt Vonnegut Memorial Library. And honestly, it's like a thirty minute visit. There's it's kinda small and, and it doesn't take a lot of time to soak everything in, so uh we got to do that, which was fantastic and something we were looking forward to. And just thankfully we did it then because if we had dedicated a whole day to it, it would have been a much more disappointing experience, I think. Would have been
1: a very, very quiet car ride home. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, What's the coolest thing you saw at the Kurt Vonnegut um, Memorial Library?
0: Um, that's tough. Uh, the thing that my mind keeps going back to is there's a typewriter. See, I, I think of that typewriter, but it was a replica. It wasn't the exact model he used. I mean, or, I mean, it was a model he used, but it wasn't the exact unit he used. But they had a, a glass case with a lot of his medals and and other things from, from when he was, uh, you know, in the war and everything. So that kind of sits with me because, you know, when I see those things, I think about all the war-based stuff he wrote, like obviously Slaughterhouse-Five and, you know, Time Quake and anything that he, he he drew on his military experience, his war experience a lot. And so seeing those actual relics from his life was pretty cool. And uh, in that case, too, was, I think, a signed first edition of breakfast of champions which i wanted to just break that glass and grab that and go running out of the store yeah
1: because that's acceptable behavior when you're when you're on a trip with friends. (laughs) see for me really really easy pack of paul mall cigarettes that was found behind one of his bookshelves
0: yeah you bonded with him over that that cigarette
1: I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, man. Sometimes they end up in strange places. No, it was just—it was a nice touch because it really showed a kind of human side to him. I think all that other stuff was very, very um, author-related and
0: book-related. Um, there were
1: some rejection letters there that were kind of neat to see.
0: Yeah, I was just um, gonna you know, say rejection was letters was cool.
1: Yeah, but uh, I gotta stick with the cigarettes. I thought it was kind of cool, and I also thought it was kind of cool that someone found them and thought like these could go in the museum.
0: Like it was museum-worthy. Like it—it it was a part of him, kind of thing
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah Yeah, so all in all great experience I'm glad we got to do it Um, like Livia said we met a ton of great people and and I know I've talked about this before but there was this moment in the Waffle House where everybody was just sitting at a couple tables together and it's like I really wish I had a photo of everybody that was sitting there because it was just like such a concentration of talent that I've never experienced before Um, I know that we're new in the, the kind of literary arena and everything but um just to see all those people there and to be like a part of that group was was probably I think the highlight for me of, of the trip.
1: You know, I didn't know that Waffle House was an actual chain.
0: <laughs> I knew of it, but it was more of like a legend than an actual like, you know, tangible thing.
1: Yeah, I just I thought like people said Waffle House like, you know, like Bob's Waffle House or something just whatever local place was to get waffles, but it's an actual chain and the food is pretty goddamn good. That's
0: right. Covered and smothered,
1: yeah. yeah, but yeah, it was weird <laughs> I was thinking about that. there we are, sandwiched in between at the table in between all these talented people, and then there's us, <laughs> highlight for you, mm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, anyway, downtown Indiana, that trip was was one for the records. that was good stuff, absolutely.
1: We look forward to doing more booked field trips in the future too. So if you've got something cool going on, um, yeah, shoot us an email. You never know where we'll show up.
0: Yeah, we need to try to do Noir at the Bar or something, go out and see Jet Airs over there in Saint was it Saint Louis? Yep. Yeah, we gotta we gotta make that happen. Booked road trips in two thousand twelve. If anybody is in the Chicago area and wants to make an awesome road trip, let's uh let's start talking about that.
1: Very, very cool.
0: Okay, so hopefully that was a pretty decent look back at 2011 and the ups and downs, the things we liked, the things we didn't like, and all that. Um, So right now we're going to tell you a little bit more about what's coming up in the upcoming year, at least the stuff that we know of right now. One of the big things that's on the horizon that we might have mentioned like on every episode since we knew about it uh, is AWP, the conference that's taking place this year in Chicago uh, at the end of February of 2012. Uh, we're looking forward to meeting and hanging out with a lot of the authors that we've talked to on the show, and and really getting around and talking to people and, and having a good time. And I know that there's already Anthony Neal Smith is and and Dave David James Keaton have signed up for some uh, outside readings. So there's some really good uh, author readings that are that are being planned around AWP. So there's going to be some really cool events uh, surrounding AWP. Not to mention, you know, all the actual scheduled you know talks and and panels and stuff that are a part of the the conference i know matt bell is on a couple of them so really hoping that we can meet and spend a little time talking to him um brian evanson i think is going to be around and there's a lot of big names so awp is a big big thing on our horizon that we're really looking forward to uh to (laughs) really just diving into and immersing ourselves in, hopefully
1: And we hope to be able to bring you some really great content um, from that and be able to share it with uh, with our audience as well. You know what the bummer is about AWP, don't you, Rob?
0: Um, Is it the thing that I was just about to start bitching about?
1: Yeah, bitch a little. We should start giving them their due right now.
0: Yeah, no thanks to AWP. Apparently, if you want media access to a conference like AWP, you need to be, first of all, a print publication which I don't know if anybody, you know, informed them that it's 2000, almost 2012, and print publications are kind of something that's not necessarily... Anyway, I'm not going to go into the whole, like, the death of print, but print publication only, and um, they require that you have a readership, no, a subscribership of of at least 10,000. Now... there's a difference between how many people read your, your print publication and how many people subscribe. In order to have 10,000 subscribers, I'm assuming you have to have a far larger readership. So I don't know if that's, you know, 50,000, 100,000, but like, to the, and that's like it. That's the only type of people that they're giving press credentials to. So um, we applied, we waited, you know, and we kind of followed up a couple of times. And finally they got back to us and they said, no, they just said no. So, uh, we don't have media access to this. Not that it, we mind paying. You know, obviously we'll pay to go to it and everything, but um, it just it restricts what we're able to do. So, um, I hope AWP is not listening, because essentially what I'm going to be doing is sneaking as much, um, you know, recordings and, and photos and videos and stuff inside the conference as I can without their knowledge uh, <laughs> to use on our show. <laughs>
1: You know, I mean, now that you said it that way, I mean, I wonder outside of newspapers and like the big magazines, and when I say big, you know, people, time, you know, Newsweek, stuff like that, like, how many actual journals have subscriptions of 10,000 or more, like literary journals? I can't imagine it's a whole lot.
0: No, I mean, I think it's just the mainstream stuff, and, and of those, how many want to be at AWP? Yeah,
1: I don't know. Either way, like you said, we're going to pay, we're going to be there, um, but... Let the negative press for the actual folks who run AWP start right now.
0: Yeah. I'm not gonna go into it. I will just start getting ranty and, and sound I know. You know. I know.
1: And you know, I think that I think that a lot of our listeners will understand and a lot of the authors that you know that we've talked to because a lot of their work gets published exclusively on websites you know so i mean it's awp has basically said you know if you're not on paper you're not legitimate and that upsets me because you know we have some some great author friends who you know who the majority of their work is available online and free to anybody Mm -hmm. instead of subscription based and on paper and that makes the stories or the writing no less relevant than you know than somebody who's in a journal with you know 10,001 subscribers so
0: exactly exactly yeah Yeah. but um
1: to you look forward to next year. More bitching from us, apparently.
0: <laughs> but uh, back to the positives. AWP, there's going to be a lot of awesome authors there. Hopefully we'll see uh, some of you people there because uh, it should be a great event. And there's going to be an enormous book expo uh, as part of the conference, too. So I'm looking forward to talking to publishers and picking up some really great new books that I hadn't heard of and stuff like that, too
1: very, very cool. So that's in February, a little bit before AWP. We plan on launching our first um, intro to episode. We still don't have a, a legitimate title for it yet because Rob's still working on something very, very clever. Um, that's top secret at this point, but um, So we have a tenant agreement from James David Osborne to help us co-host our first intro to episode sometime in January and that's going to be Intro to Bizarro.
0: Bizarro fiction something that we've... Uh, I've never actually read specifically Bizarro fiction, I think, unless some of the stuff in Warmed and Bound can be considered Bizarro, um, but it's something that we've been talking about a lot, and it was one of the most attractive genres to to dive into a little bit, and I think that an intro to episode is the, the best way to do it, because we're all... I know Livius has read a little, but we're all kind of learning together, and so to have J. David Osborne on, who can talk to it a little bit more from experience and stuff, I know he's gone to... I think he went to a conference not too long ago and, and had, uh, I think, one of his stories win an award at a Bizarro conference, so he's got a little bit of legitimacy, at least in that genre, cat you know, in that area. So having someone on who knows what they're talking about is going to be really valuable for us.
1: Having someone that knows what they're talking about on the show at all, ever, is valuable. <laughs>
0: so,
1: that includes us. So.
0: often, <laughs> Often includes us, yes.
1: So, yeah, a series that I'm very, very um, much looking forward to. Now, if there is, like, a smaller, lesser-read genre that you're proficient in as a listener, as a writer, as whatever, you know, get in touch with us. Um, We can't promise anything, but we're willing to open up the dialogue to get some other things on there. Like, right now, we really want to do steampunk with somebody we just haven't found the right person to step up that knows about it and they can own it and uh teach us a little bit about steampunk. So, if you're a steampunk aficionado or if you have specialty um knowledge in some other like kind of lesser celebrated genre, we'd be glad to talk to you about uh, about doing an episode. So, there's our plea for some help from the listening audience.
0: Okay, and and speaking of of steampunk, <laughs> we're recording this a couple days after Christmas and so obviously as a big book Enthusiast, I always get books as gifts, which actually I didn't before. Everybody always knew I was a big reader, and and only when I started complaining that no one ever got me books, um, did people actually start giving me books as gifts. But now, kind of every year, I can count on getting a handful of books. One of them I got; my brother bought me a book that was published earlier. It was actually published in two thousand eleven by an author named Mike Resnick. The book's called *The Doctor and the Kid*, and it's a steampunk book including uh, the character of uh, Doc Holliday, the the old Wild West, you know, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp kind of guy. Um, and it's in a genre that I hadn't heard of before called Weird West. So um, it's a Weird West steampunk book. Um, this is the kind of stuff we're looking for because it looks like an incredibly interesting book, and had my brother not seen it and bought it for me, I never would have known, I'd never have known at all that Weird West was something that uh, that existed and now you know it's super interesting to me and I want to get into it so those are the kinds of things we're looking for if you have any level of proficiency with a specific genre get in touch with us like we want to explore it more and we want to present it to our listeners in a way that you know they can learn stuff and they can kind of branch out from, from the stuff that they're that they know of and, and get into some other cool stuff
1: well well put sir Hey, you want to tell people about the other cool thing that they can get now?
0: Well, bookmarks didn't work, did it?
1: (laughs) (sighs) You know, there's still some bookmarks laying around. There's got to be a way to give them out. We gave them out to people who won copies of books.
0: We did. We were really foisting our bookmarks on people. And, you know, maybe it's because we're moving into a digital world, and I have tried and tried, but I can't get our bookmarks to uh, keep my place on my Kindle. Um. That's a well-worn joke. I think you've said that multiple times. But anyway. Uh,
1: I still I still think there's a way for us to market it. It would be like one quick hit because a bunch of stupid <laughs> people that got Kindles for Christmas would buy them. But then we'd have to, like, disappear ourselves it's to like avoid the, litigation.
0: <laughs> it's like those ads in the Inquirer that were like, uh, learn how to avoid ripoffs. Mm-hmm. Send $5 to. uh um, mm-hmm. <laughs> So anyway... Uh, That's actually very clever. Yeah. <laughs> because it's legitimate because you know not to send... Fi- anyway. <laughs> exactly. All right. We're out of bookmarks. We're out of the bookmark business. We're moving on to something a little nicer. Uh, t-shirts. A little bit of wearable booked merchandise. We've got these nice black T-shirts with a white print on the front that say booked. On the back it says, we tell you what to read. com. So... I've got a very limited run of shirts available right now if anybody's interested. Um, I've got sizes small through double extra large. The double extra large, obviously, is for people like me. Um, we're thinking right now, this is kind of something new to us, so we've been kind of kicking around the idea of, of what we, you know, what's reasonable to charge for T-shirts and stuff like that. But right now, Livius and I are thinking $15 will get you a booked T-shirt. That includes shipping. Um and I think the best way to take care of this right now if you send an email to bookedpodcast.gmail.com just mention that you want to get one of our booked t-shirts tell us what size you are and then we'll kind of work back and forth we might have to work out a PayPal situation or something like that but um, yeah, booked t-shirts are available as of now so ring in 2012 the right way and know that you've got a booked t-shirt coming to your house or something like that
1: and and not, not to not to undermine how excited I am about booked t shirts, but I will say this for an extra three bucks, one of us will wear that shirt for three days straight before we send it to you.
0: <laughs> and not wash it. That's correct. All right. So eighteen dollars gets you a <laughs> pre worn T shirt <laughs> yep. by one of the so, booked by by Livius or me.
1: That's right. Listen, fifteen bucks is a small price to pay to be a walking billboard for this podcast. That's all I'm saying.
0: That's right. You obviously listen to us and love us. Why not uh why not share that love with people and have a shirt that I'm wearing one as we record this and that's not like, you know, me just doing theater of the mind. I actually am wearing one and I, I like it a lot. It's like and it's cool looking, so uh everybody see, should have one.
1: See eighteen bucks, that shirt off his back
0: could be yours. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're wearing smaller sizes, you probably won't want Rob to wear it. You probably want Livius to wear it, but uh <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do what I can. <laughs>
1: anyway guys we're having a little bit of fun at the at the expense of book merchandise they are very cool if you'd like one shoot us an email it's bookedpodcast at gmail.com and like Rob said we'll work out whatever uh, if it goes well and there's a second run then we'll just have a link on the website you can buy them for friends and family too
0: if you're interested in seeing what they look like I'll post pictures on the booked podcast page on Facebook and I'll also see if maybe I'll throw a couple of pictures up in the post on our website bookpodcast.com the post for this episode
1: very cool alright moving along to other upcoming things that are going to be fun um, this one's going to require a little bit of explaining starting with our very next episode um, we are going to be doing let me back up a little bit Pablo De who has been mentioned on this show a number of times um, specifically during the warmed and bound sessions um, has thrown out a challenge to some crime writers um, apparently Mr. De is not a big fan of the flash fiction medium Um, that's where uh, you write stories that are a predetermined length. They're usually very short. I don't know, between maybe one and 500 words. Anyway, I don't have specifics on it um, from size at this point, but here's what Pablo's doing. He is wagering against eight to 12 crime authors. The wager is this. Anywhere between eight and 12 authors will submit a flash story to him. He will then publish their collection on Smashwords alongside eight to 12 stories that he wrote within an eight hour period so what he's saying here is that you can send your most polished work or these authors can send their most polished flash fiction work to him and in eight hours he will duplicate um you know that number of stories so if nine authors contribute he will write nine stories in eight hours um you know just some additional uh some additional things he'll he'll have an extra two hours not to change any um Not to change any of the subject matter, but to, you know, clean up typos and that type of thing to kind of review his work just for, uh, you know, for capitalization, spelling, you know, that kind of thing. And then he's going to have people vote on it. So um, Rob and myself will be participating in the voting um, on this. Um, If the collection by the authors wins, um, there's a payout structure. I think it's about 400 bucks that he'll be paying out to the top three stories in that collection. And obviously if he wins... um, there, you know, there will be no payout. So, kind of ballsy of Mister DeStair there to take on, you know, you know, dozen authors who uh, who can send in polished work and try to, you know, duplicate that talent in uh, in just eight hours. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, he really threw down the gauntlet. If you, I mean, all right, if you think about that, um, let's say that, <laughs> and now that I'm thinking about it, as, um, uh, uh, just from like if I were, I'm thinking about it from the perspective of an author who's going to take him up on this challenge. I personally would write the longest story I could and still be considered flash fiction so that it would take him, you know, more time to reach, you know, so potentially, let's say the limits a thousand words he's coming up against. He's got to write maybe as much as 12,000 words in eight hours, and it has to be as good of quality, you know, as as what, you know, individual authors are writing one story and you know going through a couple edits of it and, you know having other people look at it and everything so so the process for him uh, is is a huge challenge but like the stakes are if he wins you know that's <laughs> uh he's really kind of proving his point that well you know proving his point that flash fiction you know is not as legitimate of a uh, I don't know so yeah it's it's a big challenge for him but if he pulls it off I'm going to be very impressed <laughs>
1: Um, one other note, just something I forgot to say, these will be published anonymously, so readers will not know, at least not, you know, just by looking at them, who's, who story, which stories are Pablo's and which stories uh, belong to the group of writers. Um, it'll just be, you know, collection A and collection B, um, and then you get to pick the one. So anyway, over the next few weeks, um, as long as this is running, Rob and I will be featuring, um, you know, a couple stories here and a couple stories there um, on uh, on the end of our other episodes of this uh, of this flash fiction um, contest. And uh, maybe we'll even have Pablo on to talk about it a little bit.
0: That'd be cool. Yeah. Interesting. I'd never heard of, I mean, obviously there's, there's, you know, a million and one different ways to have, you know, story contests and things like that. But like to do kind of a Pepsi challenge, you know, blind taste test kind of thing. Never heard of it. Um, It's, it's kind of ballsy like you said. So (laughs) it'll be interesting to see this thing play out. I'm really interested to see, what uh what he produces and really just you know read some cool flash fiction because i like it
1: yeah he um he apparently threw out this same challenge to the quote unquote literary writers um who all declined (laughs) to to throw their work um, in the ring with us, which is kind of humorous Um, Either A, they just didn't take him seriously, or B, were afraid of what it would mean if he was right. Um, But you can listen to the Velvet podcast. I think it's episode 16, uh, maybe, of Caleb J. Ross's Velvet podcast. Um, He has Pablo Destero, on. they talk for quite a while about flash fiction and this challenge. Some really interesting listening, to.
0: We'll make sure we have a link for that episode up on the post when this goes live. Um, The other thing I just thought of when you were saying that too is um, the literary challenge I could see as being more difficult to want to throw your hat in the ring because, um, you know, I guess the downside as an author, if you've got a very polished piece of literary work, you want it to get placed at the best possible, you know, publication so that it, you know, it furthers your career and everything. It looks good on your CV and everything going forward. So the idea of throwing your very polished literary work into what's essentially kind of a casual competition i'm sure is is something a lot of people are going to balk at so it's going to be difficult so it's going to be difficult for people to want to participate in something like that even though you know that's what he wants to go up against i don't know who's going to be willing to to risk you know one of their good stories on, on on something like that if that makes any sense
1: no it does but then you know the flip side of that would be okay so i'm mr literary author guy and i just take eight hours and write one story knowing well that he's going to have to spend eight hours writing 10 stories so
0: that's true that's true Yeah, you could know,
1: reach you could reach into your catalog or you can put something new in i mean there was no as far as i know there was no qualifier as far as that goes so it's gonna be interesting to see though because it's uh Basically he's you know he's got to have x number of people that decide to download this from Smashwords vote his the best and then um the other qualifier there is that you it's will you pick the collection and then you pick your three favorite stories so we're going to be playing along on the show um while this contest is going on
0: yeah exciting stuff
1: very much so
0: Okay, and another thing that I want to make sure, we reassure you guys that you're not going to be losing at any time in the future, uh, one of our favorite parts of our show, which um, sometimes is in jest and sometimes is more serious than we'd like to admit, which is uh, Patterson Watch. It's something that we we gave name to only recently, but it's something... It's an it's an issue that we talk about on a regular basis on the show. So Patterson watches something that you know, goofy as it may be, is something that's kind of become near and dear to our heart. It's the second Malaz Corbier, so uh, definitely Patterson watch is going to be sticking around. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure you
1: just referred to Patterson as an issue. <laughs> so an issue. This is an issue. What's
0: going on with it? <laughs> that's well, he's it, it is. Okay. I, I do have issues with Patterson. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely more more Patterson watch,
1: which means, I mean, based on his current publishing schedule, that at least 12 times this coming year, we'll be letting you know what's going on with James Patterson. And breaking news, um, prior to recording this episode, I did get Rob to tentatively agree to reviewing the next standalone James Patterson book. So something that's not part of a series, uh, I think we're going to give it uh, the book treatment.
0: That's true. And you can hold me to that. Um the other thing I want to mention while we're talking about Patterson watch we can do a little mini Patterson watch right now uh in preparation for this episode I did look at uh a uh, several lists of you know best of 2011 books and everything uh of note publishers weekly had the devil all the time listed in one of their top 10 or top top lists of books of the year I think it was uh, top fiction, so that's pretty cool, um, but more importantly, I looked at Publishers Weekly, I looked at NPR, I looked at Washington Post, I think I saw New York Times too, and of the, you know, 322 books that James Patterson came out with in 2011, uh, none of them show up on top 10 lists, so, um, Livius and I were talking about this right before the episode, we started recording this, and, uh, (laughs) and, um, I can't remember what your point was, Livius, but I came back with well, that's just twelve opportunities he had to get on a top ten list that he missed on, so he failed like exponentially more than most of the other authors that that were publishing in in uh two thousand eleven
1: yeah, most authors publish one novel a year, if even that I mean the big big names hit you know religiously once a year, so yeah, he had uh, twelve times as many chances to do that and failed
0: and I'm sure he's got you know seventy four million you know, ways to console himself or whatever it is that he's got. <laughs> oh, interestingly, too, uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, I, I pointed out that Aaron Morgenstern's book, The Night Circus, which uh, Livius and I both had on our top three for the year, ended up, I think on, um, it was NPR I was listening to earlier today, and their their kind of year in review for books and... Anyway, uh, yeah, I was listening to NPR earlier today on uh, On Point, which is hosted by Tom Ashbrook. He had a couple guests on. Um, Laura Miller, who is a book critic for Salon.com. He had Becky Anderson, who owns a book called, bookshop called Anderson's Bookshop in, in Illinois, and David Ulin who, or Ulin, who is a book critic for the Los Angeles Times. They were all on. And um, Becky Anderson, the bookstore owner from Illinois, had the top book on her list for the year was Night Circus Uh, so I wanted to make sure I pointed out oh, and Pale King, ooh, ooh, Livius are going to love this, Laura Miller, the book critic for Salon.com, had Pale King on her top list for fiction for the year
1: she couldn't have possibly read it
0: I don't know at any rate, uh, yeah, so there's a couple of books that we reviewed this year, some that we gave good Marks 2 and others that we gave, not so good Marks too, uh, uh hitting the list on the On Point uh, episode about the, the year in review for books.
1: Yeah, you know what, who cares what those people think though, our opinions are the only one that matter.
0: It's true, we do tell you what to read.
1: That's right, and we've been doing it for, uh, for eight months now.
0: Yep, and I'm sure we've got at least four more months in us.
1: <laughs> at least, I was pretty sure we only had three episodes in us when we first started.
0: Can you so. imagine if we didn't make it to uh <laughs> if we didn't make it past Paul Oster's uh Sunset Park?
1: Yeah, we wouldn't be sitting here doing this now. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things we wouldn't have done and wouldn't be doing. So I'm very happy that we're doing this. That's and I'm great. glad that uh that we have fans that keep us going, so
0: Yeah, big thanks to the fans. Or I don't wanna say fans. All right, I'll say fans. Big thanks. You're... Big thanks to the fans, the people that listen all the time and that give us good feedback. Uh feedback helps us make it better and uh, um, in addition I think we should we have a list of people that we want to thank who have just been kind of um, helping us you know kind of every stop of the way and and getting the word out so um, uh, there's definitely a list of people that we probably wouldn't be nearly as far along with this podcast as we are if we didn't have them
1: uh, huge thanks to um, Caleb J. Ross, who has been very, very, very uh, good friend to this show since almost the very beginning. Uh, same goes for Sean Ferguson. And then, obviously, Malaz Corbier for being as big a part of the show as, as he has been.
0: Absolutely. And and um, another big uh, promoter of the show, Bob Pastorella. Every time we've dropped an episode, for, I think from the Warmed and Bound sessions on, he, he's gotten the word out on Facebook and on his website and stuff like that. Pela Villa, who made more or less the warmed and bound sessions what it was in a lot of ways um amanda gowan who's just been a great guest host she's been a great uh you know promoter of the show and one of (laughs) one of the most enthusiastic i think of of all the things that we've been doing we could say uh we're reviewing just about anything and she'd be excited about it and uh a special thanks to someone who's never been mentioned on an episode before but uh who we literally couldn't do this without and that's uh Mac uh, Heller Ogden he runs a company called Pixel Dreamer and he (laughs) has very graciously uh, volunteered a lot of his time and and some of his resources to giving us a place to host our stuff and and helping my foolish self actually learn how to kind of set up a podcast and do all the technical stuff so without Mac we literally would not have a podcast so big big thanks to him as well
1: absolutely without mac we'd be sending people cds every week
0: (laughs) we'd have a blog is what we'd have
1: (laughs) exactly we'd have a blog we just have to do this and then uh and then uh use like voice recognition to type it all out so and then of course as rob had mentioned a huge huge thank you to all the people that listen and share our show um you guys are the reason we're still here um you know we kind of joked and said we didn't think we'd make it to three episodes i really didn't think we would and you know it's it's the listeners it's seeing that people are actually listening and you know the interaction and stuff that uh brought us back week after week until it became part of our regular you know just our regular existence to do this show once a week
0: yep yeah so thanks to everybody and and, um really you're all integral to the show and we wouldn't be able to do it without you so um, if we didn't mention you by name we love you and, and we need you just as much as everybody else Nice, nice uh, cover there. We love you, and you do just <laughs> as much as
1: everyone. It's cute. So, but yes, so then, Rob is right. We do, we do love all our listeners.
0: Now nobody, nobody can be mad at us if we didn't mention the money.
1: <laughs> very, very true. So, um, kind of to wrap things up. You know, we mentioned a lot of things you can get a hold of us about, so please continue to send your uh, your commentary if you're looking for a booked t-shirt, if you want to co-host an intro to episode. Um, if there's anything you want to do, if you want to talk to talk us into doing a different type of show uh, and having you on or whatever, please hit us up at bookpodcast at gmail.com. Um, most of you, or a lot of you, I should say, not most of you, but a lot of you are friends with us personally on Facebook. Feel free to message us anytime if there's anything, um, you know, anything you need, anything you want to hear more of on the show just uh just send us a message like i said we do this for you guys
0: yeah and people will tell you that you know if you interact with us most likely you're getting mentioned on the show frank edler who only recently started listening to the show we've already mentioned him and he was really excited about it so um if you just want a couple of fools to talk about you on the air or, or in a podcast i guess not on the air um <laughs> you know hit us up and in you know and, and like us on facebook or you know whatever and we'll probably find some reason to talk about you in the episodes very true
1: so see you're not doing it for us you're doing it for yourselves just to get uh mentioned <laughs> on this uh this big podcast so um i'm not going to go into all the other ways you can get a hold of us if you've ever listened to this show you've heard it ad nauseum just uh i guess the message is just uh keep talking to us and we'll keep talking
0: to you that's right look forward to some incredible incredible advances and awesome uh uh, awesome, the awesomeness of booked for 2012. Lots more reviews, tons more author interviews, more events like AWP coming up. It's going to be an exciting year for us.
1: Yeah, so we talked a lot about uh, about us here, but um, just in general, you know, outside of listening to the show, have yourself a great new year.
0: Absolutely. So that will wrap it up for our first year in review episode of booked. Uh, I'm Rob Olson,
1: and I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. The law of the twinning